I'm Anushka Dukas and I've been designing jewellery for 30 years and collecting charms for as long as I can remember. In this new podcast, I'll be asking a series of extraordinary women to tell me their life story in seven charms. Today's guest is the remarkable Lady Anne Glen Connor. It was the most marvellous day of my life, I said. When people say, oh, what's your wedding? Um, and I said, well, the awful thing was, I'm afraid it was a coronation. <laughs> For me, there are so few things that can stand the test of time and evoke a memory like a tiny, detailed charm. A very special 18-karat gold biography. Few lives can be described as extraordinary, but my guest this week on My Life in Seven Charms has truly lived one. It is not an overstatement to describe Lady Anglen Connor's life as one of extremes. Born into the rigid social hierarchy of the English aristocracy in the 1930s, stitched into the tapestry of the royal household over decades, and then plunged into the hedonistic, louche world of the super-rich created by her husband, Colin, Lord Glen Connor on Mystique, and now a late flowering writer. Described as candid, kind, witty and self-questioning, I am delighted to welcome Lady Anne to my life in Seven Charms. I was so thrilled, Lady Anne, that you um, you agreed to come and talk to me about your life in Seven Charms. Well, you were so kind to ask me. I was simply thrilled <laughs> when you got in touch because I think it's a most lovely idea um, to have your life, really, in seven absolutely ravishing charms. I can't think of anything nicer and I'm just looking forward to talking to you about them. Well, let's start um, with the first. Your first charm is the home oak tree. Now, I... Visualize. I know you're going to tell us why you've chosen that. But the way I visualise that charm um, is quite three-dimensional. Um, I think the trunk, I see it as kind of quite an old oak tree, so that it's got lovely gnarly bits on the, on the trunk, and we get all the textures of, of, the, of how the trunk would be. And then gorgeous um, leaves made of, I think, probably some emeralds, some savorites, because oak trees aren't all the same colour, are they? They've kind of got yellow leaves, and if possible, they'll move a little bit so that we can find them kind of... Well, that's how I'd, I'd seen it. Um, but I'd love to know why... I know how important um, Holcombe is to you. Obviously, that's where you were born. But tell me a little bit about the Holcombe oak. Well, I was, um, um, Holcomb was my home, and um, the reason that uh, the uh, Holcomb oak, Quirkers oak, came to Holcomb was that in the 18th century, my ancestor did the grand tour and bought a whole lot of statues. And when they arrived back in England, they were packed in um, oak leaves and acorns, rather like 18th century bubble wrap. Um, and... I think they thought, well, you know, we've got these acorns. Let's try and plant them and see what happens. And they flourished. So Holcomb was the, the first place in England that had this oak tree. And it's been so much part of Holcomb, the oak tree, because it meant so much to me when I was a child and still does, because I live quite near Holcomb. And I go up the a long avenue, which has these marvellous oak trees either side, and they're quite old and they dip right down to the ground some of them I mean I think I'm right in thinking that Holcomb is the fifth largest house in the country yes it is um, and it's enormous it doesn't look so big it's so beautifully proportioned um, but the great thing about Holcomb is it's a centre block with four wings and each wing is like a smallish house and so there was a family wing where we lived there was a nursery wing and the chapel wing the the kitchen wing and then um, what's called the stranger's wing which is actually used for friends who come and stay and um, th so that when you're at Oakham in your wing you don't really have to go around the, the um, state rooms and that was what it made it rather cosy it doesn't look very cosy from the outside but it was very cosy and nice living there 
But I guess, so were you in the nursery wing? Well, we were in the nursery wing when we were small, and that was before the war, right. when we had our own uh, nursery footman. I mean, so looking back. And the kitchen wing was so far away that when the footman used to bring our breakfast, he put the eggs in a bain-marie, and by the time it reached the nursery, the eggs were done. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it took so long. It, it must have been absolutely extraordinary growing up there. I mean, and because... Who did you play with? Because actually it was all very well being on this huge estate, but presumably it was... Well, of in a book I wrote called Lady in Waiting, I talk about um, the Queen, Princess Margaret, um, who used to come over from Sandringham. And um, there's a lovely photograph of us all standing, which included my cousins, uh, he was David... Um, Ogilvy then and Angus who married Princess Alexandra and uh, I used to play with Princess Margaret because she was more my age and we had great fun whirling round the, the passages uh, on our tricycles and round the outside of the house And but there were always cousins I mean um, I remember always in the nursery and at Christmas there were all the ogres came, there were six of them, and there was, oh, I, I think there were probably about 20 children. Oh, God, so it was a really, so you know, memories of a, just a house full of lots and lots, lots of, of ch- children. Lots of children, and Christmas, I remember, a wonderful, huge Christmas tree in the long gallery. And then we all had all these card tables all round, and then people put your presents on the card tables. And I remember looking to see if anybody got more presents than one. God, yes, I bet you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or how big they were. Because when I was small, it was all, always how big they were. And talking about that, I've got a tiny story which relates a little bit to your, you know, you make the most lovely jewellery, that my sister and I went to a Christmas party at Buckingham Palace um, and when we left, there was a table full of presents with Queen Mary standing behind them, looking absolutely terrifying. Anyway, my sister rushed forward as a huge teddy bear, which she clasped. And as I went, I had my eye on a doll, actually, and Queen Mary said, Anne, can I give you a bit of advice? I was so frightened, I sort of froze. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, if I were you, she said, often better things come in little boxes. So I chose a little box, um, and in it was something, actually she's quite right, was a pearl and coral necklace that my great-granddaughter, Ruby, Where's now? Oh, She's five. Absolutely. What a very good bit of advice. But um, tell me a little bit more about life at Holcombe. Um, I think I read in your book that you had a rather scary nanny. Well, that wasn't at Holcombe. It wasn't at Holcombe. No, okay. that, that because she was so scary, was that my parents had, were in Egypt right. and my sister and I uh, went to stay with my aunt, great aunt in Scotland, because Hitler was uh, expected to land here. He had all these flat bottom boats in Belgium and Holland. And of course, it's very, the sea's very shallow here. Yes. And so all the children, not only us, but all the children who live right on the coast were moved away. I think my aunt didn't know she was unkind to me, but thank God she left. And we then got the most lovely uh, governess called Billy Williams. I mean, you know, uh, she's like Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, how wonderful. Uh, that sort of, you know. Because the first, I mean, uh, the, did the first one tie you to the bed? Yes, I mean, every that night. That is just unbelievably I know, I know. shocking. Uh, and I thought, because my mother had chosen her, and that, that my mother knew what was happening somehow, you know. Um, and, of course, you're far too frightened yes. to tell anybody. Yeah. I never, uh, never dared tell anybody. And when she was leaving, I was so frightened of her that I pretended I was sad because I thought if I in any way showed that I was pleased, I didn't know what she'd do to me. Oh, my goodness. Um, God. And actually, um, going back for a moment to my best-selling book <laughs> because I think on every level I uh, touched people and I've had uh, I could actually my new role when I get so old and can't move at all will be an agony aunt um, from people <laughs> who have had people being very unkind to them when they're children I mean not particularly nannies or governesses yeah. but mothers and fathers you know and of this awful thing of not being able to tell anybody because you're too frightened yeah one of the other things you talk about is you, you say that you thought that 
you were the biggest disappointment when you were born? Well, I was. I've got a photograph you'd like to see up there. Because there I am, and there's my father holding me, and my grandfather, and my great-grandfather. And you can see they're looking at me. How he's, could, he's she, how could she be a girl? Yeah, there it is in a, nut, in a nutshell. But uh, did you feel that through your yes. life? Yes. I mean, too, too small. Here. <laughs> I, I was too small there. But, but yes. And then, of course, my sister came two years later, quite disappointed. And then the real disappointment was my sister's 12 years younger. And I remember being at school with Carrie, and my aunt rang up and said, Mummy's had a darling little baby girl. And we burst into tears because we were so sorry for my mother. Oh. I mean, the pressure. And my father was, uh, you know, distraught. Distraught, yeah. Distraught. Because the primogenitor, you know, the, of course. the um, uh, aristocracy still have primogenitor. The Queen doesn't. I mean, if Prince, Princess Charlotte had been born first, she would be Queen rather than Prince George. Yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah. But then... Tell me how you ended up being a travelling saleswoman. <laughs> well, that was... Um, my mother started a pottery. My mother was the most remarkable woman, actually. My mother ran the house. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. <laughs> she was a and powerhouse. she said... She thought... I'm, um, in those days, she didn't want my sister and I to go and work in London. Uh, she wanted us to have something to do, you know. And she started the pottery, which was um, partly because we had a prison of war camp in the park. Right. We first of all had Italians... None of them wanted to run away. And, the, and in fact, their um, sisters and things came after the war to work at Holcomb. Um, we had our own brickyards. Yes. Everything was made for the estate, tiles, bricks, everything. And we ended up with, with 100 people. She was a, it was a l- largest light industry in North Norfolk. We sold everywhere. And I was not very artistic. I did try. And my mother said, and, OK, well, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to sell always like to sell. That's why I love promoting my book. <laughs> yes. I, 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 that's why I'll write, I mean, I've just written another one, but, but that's what I enjoy doing, actually. So off I sat in my mother's mini minor with the, my pottery packed in a suitcase, and uh, I had to stay in um, these really grim travelling salesman hotel. I was the only woman, woman. and I was only 17. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that, and then I went to America... Um, I, I travelled, I didn't know any, uh, one person I knew in America, I travelled on the Queen Elizabeth steerage, five other women in my cabin all being sick. But that was so brave to get on the, on the Queen Elizabeth and just go to America. Yeah, and just go. Well, I know, it's looking back. extraordinary. Um, With no mobile phone. <laughs> no, 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 nothing. <laughs> nothing. Uh, that, that's why when I was asked the other day to speak, speak I think I said, uh, to the... Um, Oxford Union, which would have been a young audience, because on the whole, my audiences aren't too young. Um, I I would have liked to have told them a bit about, you know, not only the war, but because of the war, we were brought up and we just did things. A, we did exactly what our parents told us to do, right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, which I don't think any of them do now. But 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 you know. Um, and it was very good for us. I mean, it was, it was difficult, it was hard. We had to cope, you know. So did you get the potter into Bergdorf and Saxon? Yes. Oh, yes. yes, you did. Uh, and, of course, my finest moment came. Was I was there, back in New York, staying with this very kind friend, Mrs Ryan. So Mrs Ryan, rather grand New uh, yeah, York very, socialite. Very, <laughs> yes. very. Um, and uh, her, her parents are um, Otto Kahn, very, very well. Yes. That's where OK comes from. When you say OK, it came from the Otto Kahns because they, they, they were frightfully rich and, and evidently um, that when they OK'd, a thing, they used to put OK, Otto Kahn. And, and that's why we say something's OK. okay. Oh, that's a bit of, that's a bit it, of it, absolute, interesting Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> anyway, in those days, if anything, um, anything we, one wanted to, uh, you know, get people to know about, it came as a telegram. 
Yes. So the maid came in and I was horrified because telegrams always filled me, you know, something something really awful. Awful. Yeah. Anyway, I saw, and then luckily there it was, my mother saying, please come home, Anne. You've been asked to be a maid of honour at the Queen's coronation. And how did that make you feel? Well, I was amazed, and so were everybody else uh, having breakfast. And it got out um, um, in the uh, New York Times, I think, uh, saying... Um, and from that moment on, I had with me a Toby jug of the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, which hadn't gone so terribly well. But I absolutely sold out. Oh, a pottery Toby jug. Yes. And when I came back on the Queen May, my mother met me, and all the press did too, because suddenly, you know. And I was waving my order book. I've got a full order book, Mum. You know. And, and um, she said, Nene, she said, Nene, you got to pose. I'm going to be made of honour. Yes, no, no, less the travelling salesman. <laughs> forget on. about it. <laughs> You're no longer traveling salesman. You're now going to be a maid of honor. So we come to the coronation, and of course, your next charm has got to be a crown. So I thought we'd, we'd try and replicate it as far as possible, but I think we're going to. I mean, I'd, I'd want to make it kind of thimble size. But difficult to replicate. It's got yes. 2,868 diamonds it, it, on it. Well, it's it's absolutely lovely. <laughs> it's got sort of sapphires and it's, rubies, I can see. I think we want to... I want to try to get the fleur-de-lis and the cross and all of those things. And the velvet, the kind of purple velvet cap, I thought we'd kind of carve out of amethyst. Oh, that's beautiful. Be, it would God, be really pretty. Absolutely ravishing. But I'm not going to manage to get the 2,000... <laughs> Plus diamonds. No, well, I think it. that might be asking a bit much. But I must say, the Queen did look fantastic in it. It weighed a ton. Did you ever try it on? Me? Did you ever get to try it on? No, no, no. Just checking. <laughs> no, I wouldn't dare touch it. No, no, it's completely, I mean, sacred. You know? uh, Prince Charles got his paws on it, aged when old he was, when we got back to Buckingham Palace, because he took it off and put it on a table. And Prince Charles made a beeline for it. And I, we thought he was going to drop it. We thought, oh, my goodness, you know, bad, that would be a bad omen. But luckily, I think my mother, um, as a lady-in-waiting, seized it from him and took it away. Because it's kind of four... I mean, it's kind of four kilos or something, that crown. I mean, I think it and weighs... she used a... to wear it where she was writing letters. I think Prince Charles says he remembers going in and seeing her... Wearing the wearing crown. ..wearing it and asking her why, why she's wearing it. She said she was practising... Oh my God, mm. that's amazing! I love the idea of her sitting there, yes, I writing know. with this. I mean, uh-huh. uh, it was, and it was lit. We, we were very heavily made up because um, uh, the lights, because um, of, they took this film. It was televised too. I mean, very early yes. on, and uh, um, so uh, I think it was Elizabeth Arden or somebody came round. My mother was also in the procession. Because she was lady in waiting, just been made lady in waiting to the Queen. So she's walking just behind me. Which, anyway, we're heavily made up. We looked at each other, and my mother said, Thank God, we look like George Roby, which you probably wouldn't know, but he was a sort of, uh, of comedian and he played dames in sort of, um, uh, um, you know, pantomimes and things. And we had white dark eyebrows and brilliant red lips and pink cheeks. But it looked absolutely normal once you fine. saw the Fine, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it looked um, fine, you know. And did you? where did you get dressed? Did you get dressed at Buckingham oh, well, Palace? Well, or? we were lent, my uncle, the tiny flat, great uncle actually, Jack Cook, whose grandson married Princess Eugenie. Oh, was that? Was having a baby now. And he moved out to his club but there was only one bedroom, and I slept on the floor on a mattress. That's great, the day before Which, the roll. Well, exactly. <laughs> the I coronation. slept a wink. You know. <laughs> so was it a laugh? Did you have a real laugh during well, that? Well, up to a point. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, were, we were being watched by 40 million billion people, you know, uh, which wasn't... I mean, it was that quite wasn't a laugh, scary. Yeah. If it hadn't been for the Duke of Norfolk, yeah. who was incredible and sort of drilled us, you, you know, and we knew exactly what to do. But no, it was really serious, you know. Okay. Well, of course it was serious. No, no, I imagine it was serious. But I'm, you know, I in my head it's like actually, if when you're it, all there, then you, was well, there any kind I mean, of giggling? We did have a laugh. I mean, for instance, the last rehearsal, we were told to wear our dresses and to um, sort of cover them up a bit. And I had a shawl. When I came down the stairs, steps from the Abbey afterwards, the wind blew my shawl, and in the 
next day, front page of the sketch, huge picture of me. She didn't know it was a secret. There's me, sort of. Expo- <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm going to be rung up. And he's well, going showing to say, the dress that yes, you weren't meant to show. Say, Sorry, Anne, I mean, but I thought it was a bit late for him to get rid of me. Um, <laughs> but but it, that was... Um, I, I was horrified by that. And, of course, it was... Um, I mean, we did get together occasionally for, for tea afterwards, and then we laughed. Then you, yeah, I can laugh, Certainly yeah. not in the Abbey. Yeah. I, th- no, I think... The Duke uh, of Norfolk, I didn't please. Was he quite scary? Wow, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he had to be. And he'd yeah. done the King's coronation when he was quite young, before the war. And, and, of course, the Queen had watched it as Princess Elizabeth. So she knew, I mean, she's fantastic. I mean, she knew, she's so calm. Oh, extraordinary, so young. So young, completely calm, which made us, because we waited, four of us went to the Abbey to wait for her, and we could hear suddenly, you know, this extraordinary, it was pouring with rain, and being driven there, I mean, the crowds, you know, were shouting at one, I mean, I sort of didn't know whether I should wave or not. <laughs> Did you? Well, sort of. <laughs> quick, quick <laughs> little wave. <laughs> but um, anyway, the Queen, you could hear her coming, you know, this roar, and we knew she was coming, and then... It was extraordinary. It was like a Disney film nowadays. Round the corner came this golden coat, um, which even shone in spite of the rain. It sort of, and then it came to a halt. There were we. Duke of Edinburgh got out the other side, quite fussy. He was because <laughs> I think, it, well, suddenly he'd lost his role completely. Really. Terrifying, yeah, terrifying. And imagine. he wanted to make, I'm sure, the day perfect for her. But we knew what to do. Come on, Anne, we're going to... Anyway, and... Oh, he was bossing you around. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, bossing, okay. he bossed us around. And he <laughs> bossed us around. And the really bad boss was when we were being photographed by Cecil, right. who um, the Cecil Queen Mother had insisted. Yeah. He had wanted Baron, which was one of his friends, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he was sort of fussing. He was telling us how to stand, and he was... I could see Cecil getting more and more irritated. So I Cecil put his camera down looked at the Duke and said, would you like to take the photograph, sir? And started to walk off. Everyone, the Queen Mother, oh, no, Cecil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the Queen looked away. And then the, um, Prince Philip realised he'd gone too far and, oh. and, and went off. And went off. And mm, went off. But, but, um, but so we had to contend with him as well as do, doing what we knew, you know. But um, uh, she didn't say anything to us we got her she looked incredible i mean you, you, she, she would make a lovely little charm <laughs> she would <laughs> she absolutely yeah, had a wonderful legs. dress yeah, a sparkly yeah. dress i can just see um, um but she didn't um say anything until we were all waiting i mean she we, there was a sort of tiny little bit of um it was a blue carpet tiny red piece of cotton the Duke had got some minion to sort of sew in. So she knew exactly where to stand. She's waiting. And the train had little um, handles underneath, you know, sat in her. Yes. And we were waiting. And we were a bit nervous because he'd always practised with the Duchess of Norfolk. We'd only done one practice with the Queen at Buckingham Palace when right. she wore a sort of curtain or something. <laughs> and we'd sort of wandered up and down. The... Anyway, um, and then she, then she did look round. And, you know, she, she just said, ready, girls? Uh, did she appear nervous? No, she... not, not, not at all. Not shaking? Not, nothing? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And because she was so absolutely calm and like that, of course, it was incredible for us. Her calmness all went back through the train, oh, <laughs> you know, like an electrical current, and, and off we went. Oh, and we cool. did adjust, because she did walk uh, a slightly faster than the Duchess. But, but we were so good, I mean, so we had a moment or two to adjust. And then, of course, we came through the route. All the choir were up on top, because the choir stalls were full of people from all the um, uh, Commonwealth, and they were yeah. all in their, I was going to say fancy finery. dress. Finery, finery, I think finery. is the word. <laughs> 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 they, I was, it was so difficult to know what to say now. But, uh, but they were in what we call fancy <laughs> dress. <laughs> uh, yeah. And... Um, Yes, you know, and then the the music and uh, um, I mean, and it was the most marvelous day of my life. I suppose when people say, "Oh, what's your wedding?" Um, and I said, "Well, the awful thing was, I'm afraid it was the coronation." <laughs> 
Would you be frightfully kind and put another log on? Thanks so much. I'm sitting in the chair that Princess Margaret always used to sit in, so I'm sort of pretending I am Princess Margaret and treating you as as if you're me, you see. I'm absolutely delighted. If you don't mind. Oh, no, I feel very, very privileged to be sitting yes, in your chair, then. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. So at this point, you had been made um, lady-in-waiting to Princess Princess Margaret. Yes, I, I was after the, after the trip, um, because I've made lady-in-waiting 72... The reason I'm asking you this is because now you're talking about her and saying ma'am, but... I always said ma'am. Did you? Did you always call uh, her ma'am before you were lady in waiting? Oh, yes. Oh, did? And that's the yeah, way you had I mean, to... uh, when I was small, we, we called, called her, I called her Princess Margaret. OK. Uh, so you never just called her Margaret? Uh, never, no, never, never, never. Uh, and I wouldn't have wanted to. I mean, uh, I think possibly my family have always been in the royal household in some respects. My father was a query to the Duke of York before he became king and then became an extra to her when she was king. Um, my mother was a lady-in-waiting to the Queen. My uncle was lord-in-waiting to Queen Mary, uh, and so on and so on. You so know. it was absolutely uh, ingrained. And, it's always, and, and I mean, you know, we wouldn't have dreamt of calling. So you all, they were always Princess Margaret and Princess Elizabeth? Uh, when we were children, uh, and um, I always called her ma'am. Everybody called her ma'am, except uh, I think that the, the, their relations didn't. Yes. They called her Margot. Prince Charles called her Margot. Called her Margot. Mm, yeah. And was it was it a very different kind of relationship once you were lady and waiting to her? Well, it was um, slightly because um, it, it was when I was on duty. It, it was a job, you know. Yes, uh, yeah. and I was always looking out for you know. You're a sort of go-between, really. People always get in touch with you to ask you know what she was wearing tomorrow because um, then they could make the flowers suitable, you know, so they wouldn't clash with what she was wearing. Uh, and then when, when one went out with her, one knew, I told them what she'd like to drink, what she'd like to eat, and I would ask where the lavatory was, because uh, all those things, just to make her life very much easier, and mine too, you know, yes, so that I course. knew exactly. Yeah. And then I was sent out quite often at cocktail parties um, to find people, to introduce them to her. And that was a great skill, because you had to wait. And if she was talking to somebody, you couldn't um, interrupt her. If she was having a nice, interesting conversation, you had to wait for that moment when you felt the conversation was flagging. Then you came in with the next person. But it was quite a skill there. And often, because she was so much, very quite small, um, I lost her quite often. I'd come back to where <laughs> I thought she was. And there, she wasn't there. And I remember looking out for her, being quite tall, so looking out, and then I suddenly, quite often she was dressed in so bright colours, and I was a spotter. And, um, and of course, all the trips abroad, I mean, I, I've written in my book, uh, I mean, it was so funny, a lot of them. I mean, we, we have wonderful sort of uh, odd things, amusing things happen to us. So you could, so, so you were able to kind of bridge, bridge that kind of deference, I guess, as his lady-in-waiting yes, and of course, her being, friend and her mate. Well, <laughs> the thing was, I was her friend and she, on the whole, her ladies-in-waiting were always people she knew because it was so important that, in the evening, I mean, when we were staying at government houses or what it was, you know, uh, we she'd also come and have a chat and after we'd, you know, gone to bed. And I used to sit there and we'd roar with laughter quite often at things sure. that would happen. You know? <laughs> Very amusing. <laughs> and then, I mean, the trouble is that when I rarely laugh, I cry. I don't know, I sort of cry. And quite sometimes, she's so naughty, and used to look at me when something quite funny happened when we really couldn't laugh, you know. Uh, and she'd just look at me uh, and I said, please, ma'am, don't look at me because I just know I'm going to laugh and I can't stop. I mean, one instance was that we were staying at, um, at the government house in Sydney in Australia. Um, Sir Roland and Lady Cutler, Sir Roland was a VC, frightfully grand, far grander than the Queen, really. And he took everything frightfully seriously. And Lady Cutler... Um, came to me. She's always sort of dressed in a sort of uniform with, with medals for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, she said, would, would the princess accept a present? And she said, it, it's um, really very special um, because it, it, it includes so many people have worked on it. So I said, well, I'm sure she would. Um, you, you know, could you tell me what it is? Well, she said, it's a boomerang cover. 
Well, I went back to Mrs. Margaret and I said to her, look, Mammy will never guess what they're going to get. She said, give me a boomerang cover. And so Mrs. Margaret said, well, how big do they know my boomerang is? So I said, well, I don't know. And she said, Anne, you must have got it wrong. I said, no, I haven't. Oh, shall I ask Lady Cutler to come in with the boomerang cover? Because, you know, and, and please don't look at me because I'm just going to dissolve into tears. So she said, well, don't look at me either. In came Lady Cutler. And, of course, what it was was a quilt that had gone out to um, somewhere in Australia and come back to Sydney and gone out to Perth. Oh, and to come, be to And, be and, they, and all the Women's Institute had, had uh, sewn it. And because it came, went out and back, it was called a boomerang. Oh, I see. I thought you meant it's actually going <laughs> to... It's a, a cover. Well, that, well, that's what we thought. <laughs> and, of course, I, we screamed with laughter. I, I mean, chairs were pouring down. <laughs> she Princess Margaret obviously had a wonderful sense of humour. Well, we laughed... I mean, you know, I, I'm sitting here. I mean, the laughter we've had in this room, I mean, we're <laughs> laughing quite a bit too. Uh, but I feel she may be sitting there, you know, enjoying it all because she always, um, when she came and stayed here, she was lovely. I mean, I was very careful about making it all perfect for her. I thought if you've got Princess Margaret staying, you might as well do what she wants. You know, why not? Absolutely. And that's what quite a lot of people didn't. And that's why she was considered so difficult sometimes. But was that because they didn't know what she wanted? Because well, you obviously know her since you... Oh, they didn't ask. They didn't right? ask. Uh, and sometimes I got the opportunity to say to the host, you know, would you like me to give you one or two hints, you know, to Helpful make the hints. weekend go well? Uh, uh, sometimes they, they did, and sometimes they didn't, you know. And, and she, she would... Well, she said, you know, the weekend is my time off, and they would um, use her. They'd have the chief of police, the archbishop, you know, and a lot of people like that for Sunday lunch. Yes. And she said, well, you know, I d d do those sort of things all week, and um, the weekend is <clears throat> my, my time, time off. My time. Um, your book is called In the Shadow of the Crown. What I wanted to ask you was, did she feel very much, did Princess Margaret feel very much in the shadow of the crown? I don't know. She might have felt slightly in the shadow, but she was very, very loyal to the Queen. She adored the Queen. Uh, and um, But I think from the only point of view, she would have liked perhaps to have been educated better. Um, I mean, the shadow, when I talk about that, it was more it was my you. shadow, yes. um, which was... Um, I was also under the shadow of Colin. I was under, under the shadow of quite a lot of things, actually. A lot of things. Um, because when Princess Margaret or Colin were with me, of course one was invisible. Um, I, knew, I didn't mind a bit with Princess Margaret because that was my role. I walked always behind her. And um, I used to pick up quite interesting things. People used to talk because I one was invisible, so people sort of talked about her and didn't realise what one was there. You know, so you I, I, I used to find, sometimes I told her, I said, "You'd never know what somebody said." <laughs> <laughs> oh, do well tell me, Anne. You know. <laughs> uh, and Colin, I was completely invisible. Yes, um, you could see that. I mean, he was. A, I mean, he just took over, and I let. I mean, I let him in the end. It was easier. Now, should we talk about charm, your number three charm, which is the map of Mustique? Oh, yes. Um, That's Mystique. lovely. Well, um, of course, Mustique uh, played such a huge part in my life. Because um, when I married Colin, Colin was going to the city every day wearing a bowler hat and an <laughs> umbrella. And I, I was doing sort of charitable work and looking after our eldest son, Charlie. And that was what I thought my life was going to be, the weekend shooting and all that sort of thing, what, exactly what my parents had imagined my life was going to be. Where were you? Were you moved to Kent? Well, we, we, we were uh, lent a house there, and Colin could easily... He, he caught the train every morning at West Morning, I think, went up to the city. But the tenants had a, a, a merchant bank and made a huge amount of money, and then they bought land and things all around the world and one of the things they had actually originally was the asphalt lake in Trinidad and I went out with Colin 
uh, to visit. But while we were there, Colin heard about an island in the, in the uh, Grenadines that was being sold by two spinster ladies. And I then went back. To, to, in and that to, island was Mystique. Yes, it was Mystique. Yes. Yeah. And it was a, a small um, cotton estate. Well, Colin knew absolutely nothing about cotton or anything, really, in the West Indies. He came back absolutely thrilled and said, I bought an island. Uh, so I said, right, you know, OK. Um, and he said, aren't you longing to see it? So I said, well, yes, I am, really. What's it like inside? Well, actually, I haven't landed, he said. <laughs> it looked all right from us. Right, uh, as we sailed around, it had lovely beaches. So off we set. Uh, we landed... It was a nightmare. I mean, the mosquitoes are huge. It wasn't called mustique for nothing. And wild cows and mansion eel trees, which are, are poisonous. I mean, we could hardly land. We were met by um, uh, somebody from the village who was in charge of the co cotton estate. And uh, I said, uh, Colin drove me around on a tractor. That was the only way of getting around. And I, I, he said, what do you think of it, uh, and I said, well, Colin, you are mad. I mean, nobody is going to want to come here. It's a nightmare place. It may have lovely beaches, but that's about all. There's no water, no electric light. And so he then said to me, mark my words, Anne, I'm going to make it a household name. And he said that because at this moment, he bought it in 1957 or something? Uh, 58. 58. Yes. And, uh, I mean, uh, I've just written another book called Murder on Mustique, uh, which I think people that. will enjoy um, I'm going to take the round, Mustique. But I've dedicated the book to him because um, fiction and truth, <laughs> they're quite... Yeah, that's why I'm fascinated. Um, and has this been bubbling away for many years, this book? Yes, but... It, but, but <laughs> was, it, was it before <laughs> Colin died? No, after <laughs> Colin died. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. It was bubbling away. But, but Colin was the chief victim. Colin isn't in the book, because right. otherwise you take it over. But but how joking apart? I mean, how long has the plot been been going? It happened when I first went there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all those years I, I thought, ago. I can't, I can't actually stand being on this island, uh, and I thought, you know, well, well and I used to. <laughs> It's so awful, this. I don't think that. Uh, uh, but, but I used to think of killing Colin. <laughs> and, uh, and um, I mean, uh, and where I could. And what, what this time, I went to Mastic. I had all sorts of ways of how, you know. Uh, and then I thought of one moment of hiding him in the cotton bales. <laughs> I thought, how can I get him off the island? Um, I, I didn't think further. I suppose he would be discovered in Lancashire when they were spinning in the cotton. <laughs> well, God's sake, what have we got here? A body. You know? but, but anyway, it's <laughs> rather shocking, this, actually. No, it's the only person I've told. I just, well, I, 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 because the book is what it is, I haven't read it yet, but I was like... You surely this has been going on for a long time. This, <laughs> this plot right. it started when I first went because hours we were unable to read. You know, yeah. I then retired to to bed with my eye mask on and my anti mosquito, dreaming up. Dreaming and up, yeah, what you're going to do. And it's been a long time. It's been a long time in the making, but it's going to be... But you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's dedicated, it's for Colin, because he said he, he would make Mustique a household name. Although he, uh, you know, had d uh, failings in, in lo lots of ways, he, he did have a dream, he had ideas, and that was what was so exciting. And um, people say, do you regret being married to Colin. And I say no. I mean, it was extremely difficult. I had a very difficult time, but I don't regret it. Um, I would never have had such an extraordinary life like I have had. So, so we're going to talk about your fourth charm. Obviously, it's a book and a pen. Well, that's entirely obvious why that's a book and a pen. Well, but I think it should be... I'd love to make it as a little miniature book, but a locket so that we can open it up and you could put a little handwritten note inside but I thought we could put the pen either on top of the book or inside but the book will absolutely have engraved on the front um, the name of your book. I'm not sure whether it should be 
which book should it be Murder and Mystique? No, I think Lady in Waiting. Lady in Waiting. So it will have Lady in Waiting engraved on it. And then inside, I think it should have your name and probably your signature, um, because we can get that engraved kind of perfectly. Um, I'm so excited. I thought thought you might do some of those old-fashioned Shakespearean books with a great big pen, quill on it. No, but what you suggested is brilliant. So I'm so proud, actually. I mean, it's been amazing. To, well, absolutely extraordinary. I, know. I mean, to, to, and what I find, what I really find, uh, is all the people have written to me about my book. And I'm so humbled, actually, by people who um, have enjoyed my book. It's meant something to them. It's even helped them. It's so it's so beautifully written because you, you have got, obviously, some unbelievable stories to tell. And yet, at no point are you nasty about anybody or you know it's just so lovely the way that you've written it and it just makes you want to know more and more so I am so looking forward to the next one um but I and the only question I do have about it is why now or why why did you wait so long to write your first well I book? had to wait till Colin and Prince of Margaret had been gathered <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly have written it while they were there and I didn't think I've always as you probably gather, having this lovely chat with you, that I've always told stories. And uh, I met a publisher, um, uh, uh, Tom Perrins, uh, at a weekend, actually. And he said, have you ever thought of writing a book? So I said, no, I can't write, I mean. And he said, no, no, you don't, you know, but you could uh, dictate it. And then they were all very, um, you know, they kept on saying, come on, have a go. And Hugo Vickers, who's a great friend of mine, who writes wonderful books, said, you know, we'll help you if you get... And off I went. People said, did you get um, writer's block? I said, absolutely not. I got writer's diarrhoea. I mean, it all came <laughs> flooding out. <laughs> Rather too much, I mean. You know. uh, and uh, anyway, hey, presto. Um, well, not even this time last year, but in a month um, it came out. And it took off. It had wings of its own. I know. In the New York bestsellers list for how many weeks? I was number four. For how many weeks? Uh, Well, in England, it was 35 weeks. In in New York, I'm not sure, about 12, I think. So, Lady Anne, let's now, let's talk about your fifth charm, which is an Indian elephant. Um, Now, I see this elephant um, with wobbly legs, a tail that moves and his trunk that moves. And he's an Indian elephant, I think you've said. So I think he's got to have a gorgeous embellished saddlecloth with lots of semi-precious stones and diamonds on him. But tell me why you've chosen an elephant. Well, I've chosen the elephant for two reasons. Mm. Um, First of all, we had an elephant. And she was called Booper, and she arrived from the Dublin Zoo. She she became redundant, poor Booper. And Colin saw the adverse in some paper, immediately said, I've got to have an elephant. So he bought the elephant, and she came to St Lucia. And she was wonderful. I absolutely loved her. And the twins used to ride on her. She's quite small when she first arrived, but she grew bigger. And she used to come up uh, uh, when I was doing something in the kitchen, put her trunk into the kitchen, and I always used to give her a banana. She was so sweet. Um, But we had her for a number of years, and she was sort of part of the family. That's partly why I chose an elephant. The other reason is that every year, for 26 years, I've been to India. And I absolutely, I've got a great friend called Margaret Viner, and um, we travel very well together. Often people say, you're so lucky having Margaret, because I don't think I've got a friend I could spend, you know, a month every year with. But anyway, um, we, we had the most wonderful time. We travelled all over India together. You've really um, depicted in this charming little elephant the elephants we saw in India, which were did were made up and painted, and you know, um, and we rode once, only once on an elephant, which is the most uncomfortable thing we've yes. ever done. Yes. And we did say when we eventually got off, we're never going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I know deeply. Now that's why I chose an elephant. And is India your favourite place? Uh, that Absolutely you've... magical. But your sixth charm is a little sailing dinghy, um, and. 
actually, I, I mean, the way I'd seen it, because I love things to be as perfect and miniature as they can be. So I had seen it as a with a little ebony, beautifully carved ebony hull with all the like the with the replicas of the wood that it that it, it I assume it was made of and with a with a gold mast and I'd seen it with kind of beautifully carved rock crystal sails um, but you might have seen it because because I don't know what the boat was but that's how I'd seen it well I've had various boats and um, I'd love it to look as you've described it because sailing has been part of my life since I was five and I sailed ever since until I had a 80 I sailed until I was 80 and then I had rather nasty sort of accident where my boat was tipped over and the mast went into the sand and I was in my life jacket and I couldn't get under the boat to get out and I had to take the life jacket off and, and uh, actually um, um, a canoe somebody in a canoe had thought whoever it was, was dead under the boat. And suddenly I arrived and I thought that was the time to stop. But it's been part of my life. I mean, sailing at Burnham Overy, stopping and having picnics. And I've always loved the sea. I'm I'm cancer. I'm a moon subject. Uh, And the sea and the moon. It's so important, absolutely. But um, was it kind of a real source of peace for you I mean did you sail on your own I sailed on my own it's a way of getting away from everybody I can imagine and (laughs) although I used to race sometimes but I was absolutely well I somehow always used to come in I came in last once and everybody else had gone home (laughs) so so humiliating (laughs) but it's so interesting because I I mean I've sailed a bit Um, I'm absolutely lousy sailor but it is absolutely for me it's all about courage because actually it's quite scary going out there i mean i quite enjoy it i mean i mean the great thing about sailing is that you forget everything and when the boys were ill um i came up occasionally um, colin and my sisters and things took over and i came up to sail and it was a most marvelous thing escape escape now your last charm is a peapod and i will have five peas in a pod so this you've chosen this to represent your five children absolutely and i just thought it was such a charming idea will you tell me a little bit about your children well i was so like i had charles and henry um and sadly they both died very young charlie of he was a drug addict most of his life but he then married a most wonderful girl called Sheila and they had Cody they had a son and I've got the most lovely grandson who's a banker oh my goodness (laughs) Charles Charles would be absolutely amazed (laughs) I don't think his wildest dreams would he have thought of having a son that was a banker and he's absolutely charming and uh, and then Henry uh, married darling Tessa and they lived at Glen and uh, Glen um, was Collins house. Is that yeah, right? yeah. Colin, so the, the Glen, Glen Castle. Glen is the family house, which is a sort of magical castle in a valley in the borders. And I went there to, actually last week to stay, and um, it was just as it always has been. It looked ravishing. And that was home for you when and you were that, that was home. Yes. And so um, Henry sadly died of AIDS. He was married to Tessa and they had you and and then he decided he was gay and came out. But it was a terrible time to be gay then. I mean, it's, it, it is so hard to imagine losing two children. I, I just... Well, I, I know. It was... God, and what was perhaps even worse, I mean, Charlie was really ill. I knew he was going to die. I knew that Henry was going to die quite soon. And then Christopher had his accident in Belize, was in a coma for a year. And um, again, I write in my book about how we, you know, my Barbara, my darling nanny, who went to look after Prince William and Harry, came back to me. And we did it together. And although he's quite badly disabled since, he's been married twice, got two wonderful girls. Who, what, the, first, the eldest one's just got a first kings very clever girls but you've got twin girls as well yes well the girls are wonderful one's married to most lovely son-in-law and they uh, they live in cambridge they've got a business in cambridge and amy the other twin isn't married but she lives in cambridge and um she never really wanted well, she wanted children but she said well i've got to i'm amazed i mean they're mirror twins 
gosh. So, so, um, so May's close. children are like her children. Oh, huh? And she Wonderful. helps May, and she helps in the business. And when Anton married me, he said, you know, I'm going to marry Amy as well. Oh, gosh, how wonderful. So I'm so lucky. I mean, although I haven't got Charlie and Henry, I've got um, their sons, and I sent a book to my grandsons. Um, Ewan was very, very um, sweet, uh, because nothing, nothing happened. They didn't come back to me. I thought, well, perhaps they haven't read it, or you know, perhaps they're terribly upset. So I did sort of, I said to Ewan, darling, have you read it? And he said, yes, Mum, uh, Granny, uh, a roller coaster, he said. But, and I couldn't stop crying, but I'm so glad you wrote it. Because, of course, he was three when his father died. And he never really knew about how his father died. Yeah. Because um, Tessie's mother, who died the other day, um, never had. And he said, at least I know now how Dad died and how you felt and all this sort of thing. I must have been, yeah, so, did, and were you able to chat to him about it a bit more yes. detail? Absolutely. And I said, I hope you don't mind um, me writing. He said, No. I'm so glad. And Cody is too. I mean, all the children are wonderful. I mean, God, I'm lucky. I mean, mean, my life was pretty awful at one point, but I've been so fortunate since. God, I mean, I had this amazing moment uh, when I was so tired looking after Christopher. I thought I was going to, going to die, actually. And this healer, Mrs. Black, um, I think I, I say that. Anyway, she'd, she worked on me. She, she prayed for me. And I was rejuvenated. I mean, I felt that God... Um, I always felt, funny enough, uh, that I was so pleased that it didn't happen to my sisters. Because I felt my sisters just couldn't have coped. And I felt God had chosen me because I am quite a strong person. And I was able you know, to manage. I did it, but, but with God's help. Um, Lady Anne, you've gone through your seven charms and, um, and we've touched on so many parts of your life. It's been completely, completely lovely um but i'm dying to know um which of the seven charms will you choose because i'd like to make you one um which one will you choose oh gosh how thrilling i didn't know i was going to get one thank you so much well i i thought you know so thinking about it i think i must choose the book because i suppose that's the one thing in my life that i've really done myself and I'm quite proud, actually, of Lady Waiting, because it's gone worldwide. And and so will Murder on Mystique, I feel well, sure. I'm hoping that will. I'm going to make it absolutely beautiful for you, and I'm really looking forward to giving it to you. Well, thank you so much. You. It's been lovely, lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed my life recently. Uh, I, I mean, I'm so happy. And I just, um, you know, feel I've been so lucky. Thank you so much for listening to My Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. Please do like, review and subscribe to hear our latest episodes. Thank you to Fairly Media for our audio production.